impact and fixed spec, this is Founders Anonymous, the podcast that helps you move your business up a gear. I'm your host, David Trott. And I'm Chris Lees. Hi, and welcome to Founders Anonymous. I'm David Trott, and coming up this week, time to put your big boy pants on. We look at hiring staff, when to do it, and how to figure out exactly who you need on your team. Crypto kids, pasta sandwiches, and storming the BBC. What's been happening on Twitter this week? With me is my co-host, Chris Lees. How are things, Chris? They're okay. They're okay. I've had quite a fun week with my daughters. Uh, This week, I showed you a little bit of video, actually, just before we came on air, David, about uh, me jumping around my personal training studio with my daughters to the theme song of Crazy Frog, uh, which was uh, a lot of fun. How is your Crazy Frog personal training going? Because I know that you were interested in doing that a little while ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, tremendous amounts of exercise. I I barely stopped. (laughs) Okay. How has your week been otherwise? Yeah, I had a fairly stressful phone call this morning. <laughs> so I think I've used up all of my reserves of charm on that call. So this could be an interesting episode. Who knows? Yeah, shaping up to be a brilliant one too. Great. <laughs> it's the moment every founder either dreads or loves hiring staff. Bringing people onto your team can feel like tiptoeing your way across a minefield. How can you tell your star candidate from the closet serial killer. And more importantly, how do you even know when it's time to recruit? Chris, we've both been through the joy of recruiting during a pandemic recently. What was your experience like? Painful is is the simple answer for it. So I think we should uh, step back a minute before thinking about uh, recruiting. I've had a few experiences where I've lost staff during the pandemic. So one of the things that I've I've realized people have, we've all been through in this pandemic is that people's expectation of what work is, where you work, how you work, and that work-life balance have all shifted, right? And the way that that's manifested itself in my business is we've actually had a turnover as a result of people reevaluating their lives, right? So we had uh, a developer was with us um, right at the beginning of the pandemic who really struggled during the first lockdown because he was quite young and he didn't really have a particularly great place to go and work at home. Right? And those guys who like the uniformity and regularity of going to a place of business, they struggled. We also had another developer who had his second child during one of the lockdowns. And this, the whole experience essentially caused him to reevaluate what he wanted out of a job. And so this is probably a familiar pattern that a lot of people have had during the pandemic. We've, we've all been evaluating the way we work, but also our staff might be uh, evaluating the way that they work as well. And I think from a recruitment perspective, replacing those people, we have to bear these things in mind, right? That now if I was uh, writing up a, a job advert, I'd immediately be thinking about, well, where is it that they they should be working? Is that, you know, do they have to come to an office environment? Uh, Are they interested in part-time work, perhaps because that's their new mindset after they've been through this quite traumatic experience of the pandemic, frankly? I, I guess people's expectation as work has changed and that in turn has implications for future recruitment. Yeah, sure. So we've seen a lot of stuff in the news over the past few days about whether people who choose to work from home should be paid less. Mm. than people who commute into an office mm. as if that was ever a factor in our thinking of setting salary expectations pre-pandemic. But then I, I guess there's also this idea that, that being able to work from home is kind of, for many people, it's a privilege. You have to have the space to be able to do that. 
not just a privilege, but a, re a reflection of your privileged situation that you are able to do that. What's the sort of mood among your team around homeworking at the moment? So I'm, I'm in a little bit of a strange situation because we started the company uh, nine years ago now. And we've always essentially been a remote company. It's only literally in the last year and a bit that I've been here in, in this co-working space. And so, you know, I've had employees in India. I've now got uh, a guy out in Australia. We've just taken on some people in the Philippines. We've got people in France as well. So we've, we've always been in the situation of remote working. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Okay, so I've sort of derailed us a little bit. I guess we need to take a step back and look a little bit at that that hiring process how how do you come to a decision that you need to bring someone on so i think it, i i read a, a, an article a long time ago that said you should only really hire when it becomes really painful i.e you, you should be really screaming and needing a lot of help before you actually hire somebody i know i don't agree with that situation i think one of the biggest challenges that people face as a as a as a small business founder is the idea of trying to have enough work that you can give to somebody meaningfully. Yeah. Right? And, and I think we all overlook the idea of part-time work, right? So my, uh, my marketing guy, Rob Crabtree, we've, we've done a um, podcast with him. Rob works for Fixbet part-time. He has his own uh, agency uh, for the rest of the time. And, and that relationship actually works really, really well for us, right? Because I don't have enough work to employ a full-time marketing person. We should be thinking about fractions of a headcount as opposed to a whole people. Now, I suspect that, again, based on the shifting expectations that people have after the pandemic, there will be a lot of people who try to set themselves up as independent contractors. Now, that's not the same as a full-time employee. They're not really invested in your business all that much. Yeah. They are people who are there to do a job, a functional task. but. Um, those guys are not really going to be engaged in your business. Part-time employees is different. It's a different mindset that says, actually, I am in this for the long term. I am a valued member of a team. It's just that there isn't enough work for me to actually be doing this full time, right? And that's, that can also work in the right circumstances. That can also work really, really well for that part-time employee because it means that they can either go and get other activities that they can be engaged in or possibly set up their own thing exactly like we've done with rob for example yeah sure okay that's really interesting so what what was that moment where you first thought right i need i need help with marketing now and i guess there's that choice of do i learn how to do it myself or do i bring someone on well, the thing is, we all go through this, right? We, we all have, as small business owners, and you, you have it, I'm sure, as well, David, there's lots of things that we do where we shouldn't be doing it, but we're forced to because it's just what's required, yeah. right? You know, doing VAT returns and taxes and all of that junk, you know, that's the classic example of we're not trained in that. We don't know really what we're doing. We do our best shot. But if somebody could take that off our plate, that would be awesome, Right. Marketing is one of those things. If you're a small business owner and you don't have a dedicated marketing budget, which you probably won't, you're going to try as best you can to do a little bit of social on the side, a little bit of marketing if you can, as you've got some spare time, as well as running the day job. Yep. That will actually end up being probably not a great overall outcome, but it's all you can do because you're probably feeling trapped that I don't have enough work to justify this being a whole person's um, salary and I can't afford a whole person's salary if that person is not fully utilized 
yeah. uh, completely. And, and that, that fundamentally is, is the problem. There comes to this point, though, when you realize that your entire business growth is being blocked by the absence of something. Yeah. So recently, for example, I came to the conclusion that I needed to build up a, a smoother customer journey to get people in to um, you know, evaluate our software and hopefully ultimately buy. I knew that I simply didn't have the time to do that. And so I started looking for some uh, business development executive to help me build up, define what that pipeline is and build up the pipeline uh, for me. Yep. Again, I didn't have time or, uh, sorry, I didn't have the money to be able to afford a full-time person. And so I found somebody who's willing to do it part-time, which is a brilliant outcome for both of us. He's part-time student, uh, part-time with me. Great outcome for both of us. That's a good win-win situation. Some of this is about unpicking what it is you're good at and what it is you need help with. Some of it is about unpicking what is it you're doing and what is that? what else is that stopping you from doing. Mm. Because the old theory is you don't recruit someone when you can't afford to. You recruit them when you can't afford not to. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the idea. Yeah. But the, like, I've always had a bit of a problem with that because it feels like it ties it directly to... Uh, an immediate return on investment. So I, if I'm going to take someone on in marketing, then that marketing needs to earn their salary plus. Yes. Right? And that's just not how a lot of business functions work. How do we figure out when we've reached that moment when things are blocking us that we might not necessarily think these are business critical, these are the things that are stopping me from growing, but spending eight days or eight days every month trying to figure out your accounts means that you're not going out and winning new business, for example. What's what's the process of, of being aware of those obstacles? I th- well, I think you've actually kind of hit on it just there, which is if, if you were to do a time and motion study of what you actually spend your days doing, I think it'll be pretty obvious quite quickly, right? So if you, and I don't suggest you do this over the entire month, but if you start to jot down just on a piece of paper and somewhere, you know, today I woke up and for two hours I was doing, I don't know, meeting prep. And for three hours I was doing, you know, the the real work of the business. And for three more hours I was sifting through CVs for a job that I'm trying to do. Like if you actually broke it down like that and tracked it over a period of time, you would realize pretty quickly what it is that you're spending time on. And you'd, you'd be able to identify where I can just take that job and pass it off to somebody else. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, uh, there is something that terrifies me about actually listing out how I spend my week. I just, it feels like it'll end up as 40% eating Jaffa cakes, something like that, right? <laughs> maybe, this is, maybe this is something we do on the podcast. I track my work for a week uh, and then we sit down and look at what I've done. That's time well spent. I'm very partial to a Jaffa cake myself. <laughs> but uh, I think the, uh, the idea of... Um, when you ca- you can no longer afford to uh, carry on as you are, you realize that something's changed. You almost got to a breaking point that says, in order to move forward, I need to get this stuff off my plate. And that's that's the moment of, of truth. Yeah. And that breaking point, we naturally feel that that breaking point is, oh, shit, I've got far too much to do. Um, all these clients are expecting so much of me and more work's coming in all the time and I can't possibly do it all myself. I need mm. to hire someone to help. Mm. But that's that's not always that how the breaking point works, is it? Sometimes the breaking point is my business isn't growing because right. I'm spread too thin or because I'm focusing on the wrong things or because right. I'm neglecting things because I don't know how to do them or it's I'm doing them badly or whatever it happens to be. Like that, that breaking point comes in different flavors, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and so there's one thing that I'd say about breaking points is is 
There are lots of things that individuals are not good at. Everybody needs different elements of help because everybody has different strengths, right? And so what I, in my mind, I always differentiate between two different types of jobs. There is a job which is a task-based job, uh, can be done by, you know, uh, just about anybody, perhaps a new graduate, something like that, right? So things like, I don't know, scheduling calls, uh, a little bit of bookkeeping, perhaps, you know, the routine, simple things like that. And then there's another category of job, which is the more strategic jobs, right? So things like building this customer pipeline that I mentioned, where you really need that person to really understand, to use their brain to come up with great new ideas for you. And there's this always this, this great quote that you see on LinkedIn all the time from supposedly from Steve Jobs, I don't know if he said it, of, you know, there's no point in hiring smart people and telling them what to do. You hire smart people so that they can tell you what to do, right? Yeah, I guess that's very, it's a very different recruitment process for each, isn't it? Like a task-based job, you can just list out a load of responsibilities and functions, yeah. right? And that's yeah. straightforward. Yeah. The expectations are set. Yeah, and, and, and those are the tasks that are actually quite easy to just go and hire people to do, right? You know, we have accountants. I'm sure you have an accountant helping you with preparing your tax return, right? That is because there's a consistent task that nobody is particularly good at unless you're an accountant. And so you just want to get rid of it to somebody who knows. Yeah, right? sure. And there's economies of scale in everybody doing that. Personal assistants are exactly the same situation. I don't want to do any scheduling, so I'm just going to give it to a personal assistant. Yeah, sure. Um, those types of jobs. So how would you, this is a bit of a curveball question, how would you start carving out a job description for a strategic style role? I think whenever I'm thinking about people from a strategic role, the thing that I'm really looking for them to demonstrate in an interview or any sort of conversation like that is a genuine understanding and interest in the business that I'm trying to um, uh, trying to create. But conversely, if this is a task-based role, I wouldn't expect that at all. And you know, we're just down to feature function. Can you do you know about this? Do you know about that? Yeah, cool. Okay. So what about so what about you then in your business? So you you offer out a variety of different services to to um, to your clients, right? Now, you may not be skilled. You're very skilled at an awful lot of things, David, but <laughs> you, may not be skilled, you may not be skilled in every single one of those items, right? You know, so there's audio stuff, there's marketing content stuff, there's perhaps uh, video type stuff. How do you go and source underlying people to help you in your business to provide a full package? Yeah, so my my hiring process has been fairly naive in that it's, it's very functional, so I identify gaps in what I can and can't do. Mm. And then I find someone that is better at that than I am. Mm -hmm. So for example, so Liz on our team is, I mean, she's just exceptional with words. You know, she, her writing is, is tremendous. <clears throat> so for our clients that, that want, for example, press release work and copywriting work, it's yeah. just, I mean, there is absolutely no way that I would sit there and spend my time trying to mangle words together when Liz can do it much better than I can in half the time. Right. So it's it's quite it's quite straightforward hire. Okay. Where I've been more naive is in figuring out what help I need in growing the business. Okay. And recruiting for those functions. So a lot of a lot of our team are very sort of end product focused and client project focused. Mm. Uh, where it sort of feels like the, the business development, the business growth stuff just sits squarely on my shoulders, and I haven't quite got my head around 
how to break out of that cycle yet. So in terms of these two camps, then what you're saying is that the the existing people on your team are, are more sort of doing the, the task based stuff, albeit extremely high value tasks. And the piece that you're still struggling with is, is more of the strategic. How do you grow impact into a household name? Yeah, exactly. The team is there working on the end results of the clients. Um, so they're working in the business. Mm. And then the only person there to work on the business is me, mm-hmm. which I don't think I'm doing particularly well at the moment. And and so can I ask can I ask a, a difficult question of why? Why aren't you getting somebody in to help you with the strategic stuff? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm not sure. I think I think it's because the pressures of fulfilling client contracts feel very immediate. Mm-hmm. Whereas business development for a lot of us is something that, you know, can happen. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it can happen the rest of the time. But the most important thing is you're not letting these clients down. Right. Yes. That's that's yes. sort of that's the mindset that we all sort of default to. Yeah. Um, but it's the worst mindset to have when actually you need to focus on business growth. Right. Yeah. It's that business as usual always trumps change. Developing it in uh, that is not immediate. There's no immediate revenue associated with that, but nonetheless, it's very important. Otherwise, the pipeline may may you know, dry up or not grow as you as you would expect, right? Yeah. Um, and it's balancing those two things that becomes extremely hard for people. Yeah, it's extremely hard for me, especially when forty percent of my week is spent eating jaffa cakes. Yeah, <laughs> it's tremendously difficult to then refocus on business development stuff. Well, here's here's a little idea: spend less on jaffa cakes and, and hire yourself a business development executive. Well, I mean, there's a quality of life argument as well, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. Okay, so I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about this more next week, aren't we? What hiring someone involves and how you define the exact sort of person you want. Right. right, yeah, working out the logistics of the hire. How you go about finding somebody, writing up the job spec, whatever that thing is. Yeah, yeah we're going to go into that. So today is more about the strategics. Yeah, and trying to trying to pinpoint that moment where you, as a business owner, come to that realization that, yeah, I, I need some help with this. Mm. This is probably a time to consider hiring. Mm. And so we've talked about some of that is the pain of, I've got too much to do. Yep. Some of it, the pain is... I'm not growing. Yeah. Some of it is the pain of I'm doing these things that I'm not good at. Yeah. And some of it is I need to free up more time for biscuits. <laughs> right. I, I think I think you've missed one of the bigger pieces though. Where you, you slotted in Jaffa cakes in this place of something else, which is it feels like a gamble. It feels like you're almost risking the entire business on taking this leap to get some people in sometimes, right? So if you are, if you're running a business that is making a profit, but not making a massive profit, you may feel as if there isn't much of a cushion there. And so hiring somebody else, taking on that extra salary is a big gamble. I think that's probably what's stopping a lot of people from making that leap. Cool. So next time we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it, yeah? And you're gonna bring some Jaffa cakes. And I'm bringing some Jaffa cakes, okay. if there are any left. Okay, now kids, it's time to take a break from all that snap and that chat, that tick and that talk. The, uh, the boomers are here and we want to talk about Twitter. So David, tell us everything that's happened in Twitter this week. Oh, right. Okay. Am I a boomer? Are we boomers? Uh, I think to the young'uns, we are boomers. Right, Any, right. Anybody older than them is a boomer. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. Twitter has been brilliant the past week. I've thoroughly enjoyed Twitter. Um, and it... It started with, um, have you seen the video of the lockdown protesters storming the BBC? 
I have not, no. Okay. What I've done there is I've described what they thought happened. Okay. What actually happened was a group of people protesting against something that is no longer in place, i.e. lockdown, decided to storm the BBC and film themselves doing so. But instead of going to the actual BBC studios, they went to BBC Television Centre, which was decommissioned 10 years ago and is now a block of luxury flats. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, and they stormed a block of luxury flats, all, <laughs> all while filming themselves shouting about the BBC and freedom. I mean, it's just, given that this is a group of people that, that so often tell us that we need to do our own research, just the, the functional lack of intelligence and lack of research that went into that protest is quite remarkable. So as with all these things, the cognitive dissonance kicks in. So they film themselves doing this. They are roundly mocked on social media by people people pointing out that they're not in fact storming the BBC. So what do they do? They then have to create a secondary narrative that makes them feel better about themselves. So almost as soon as this video was released, they then created this second narrative, which was the storming of the BBC was a false flag narrative by pro-lockdowners to try and make anti-lockdowners look thick. Honestly, you don't... Guys, you don't need you don't need the rest of us to do false flag stuff for you. Like you are more than capable of looking like morons yourself. We don't need to help with that. So that was one of my my first favourite moments on Twitter this week. It was then followed up by Have you seen the crypto kit? I have not, no. Right, I'm going to show you. I'm going to pull this up on Twitter and show you. So the crypto kit. What I'm not going to do here is take the piss out of this this guy and what he looks like. I mean, okay. I maybe I'm a little bit, but what I'm not doing is taking the piss out of him because he's a kid and that's, that's okay. not on. Um, but you have just flagged for everybody that we should go and look, see what he looks like. Okay. But there was, there was an article that was published. I can't remember where it might, it might have been BuzzFeed, it might have been Bloomberg. I can't remember. One, one new site published this article about a 16-year-old kid in America who is supposedly earning millions from crypto, mm-hmm. right? And this article is clearly a regurgitated PR piece. The image that they chose to go along with this press release just typifies everything about crypto boys and how they view themselves. Here's the image. Oh my God. So it's a, it's a kid in on what looks like a private plane wearing the most garishly blue suit in the entire world. And David's comment on that was me browsing the file of facts section in WH Smith when I was 10, which is probably true. That's that's a section yeah, that's where exactly you went and it's just like, yeah. ooh, I look really businesslike because I've got this, uh, I'm looking at the file of facts. Okay, so uh, I, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed this story. What I think is interesting is the, the whole, the environment of crypto and and how skewed its own perception of success is, mm. right? And that, that I find that is very amusing to me. Item number three, have you, Chris, seen the video of the fat baby from a restaurant in Las Vegas? I'm going to say no, because that seems to be <laughs> the standard answer I give. This video has had, as of, as of the time of recording, this video has had 4.8 million views okay. on Twitter. There is uh, a restaurant in Las Vegas that sell things that they call the fat baby. And from what I can work out, the fat baby is half a loaf of bread hollowed out and then filled with pasta. It's carbs in carbs. It seems it sounds terrible. What what I want is I'm going to show you this and I'd like you to give us your live reactions to this video. (laughs) All right. So looks like they're preparing it now. They're greeny. Okay. Doesn't look very appetizing. I'll give you that. 
It's Linguini kind of all over the place. Ugh, hang on. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> That's not normal. Who wants that? Like, they're pouring this sauce over the top and it's all spilling down the, the, the plate. It's, oh, it's disgusting. That Honestly, that looks like an alien being served on a plate. <laughs> Who wants to eat that? How would you even eat that? I don't like know you could, eat it. Like, knife and fork? Like, what are you supposed to do? I've never seen a chicken velouté sauce that looks anything like that. Why is it so stringy? It must be full of cheese and all sorts, which feels feels weird to me. Is that supposed to be like a sharing dish? Or is it like for one person, one extremely fat baby? So there we go. The okay. fat baby. Obviously, Twitter went into meltdown over this, and rightly so. I'm desperate to go to Las Vegas so I can try one myself. Maybe stop me eating so many Jaffa cakes. They should, have, they should stuff half a loaf of bread with Jaffa cakes and top it off with, I don't know, hot fudge sauce or something like that as a, as a dessert. I mean, that genuinely sounds amazing. Like if it was a brioche loaf. Yeah. So that's what happened on Twitter this week. And then Twitter changed the font and everyone lost their shit. Uh, but I actually think it looks quite nice. Okay. <laughs> right, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can message the podcast directly by emailing us at podcast at impactbiz.co.uk. Uh, and don't forget to subscribe and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, we'll be back next week with our final episode of the season. This season. I can't believe we've got through one whole season and <laughs> haven't been taken off the air. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Founders Anonymous is an Impact and Fixback production. Mm-hmm.